Caroline, we got Bernie on the line. What do you want to ask him? For someone that's working a W-2, right? Like what is the biggest piece of advice that you can give as far as getting into this business and trying to do uh, multifamily investments while also working the W-2? I, I think there, there's a couple, right? I think the, the first thing you have to realize is that there is no perfect deal. And I think a lot of folks do that. They, they, it's that paralysis by analysis routine, right? And they're like, gosh, I'm looking at this deal, but it's only a four cap or God, man, it's, it's you know, I, I, you know, everybody has the same thing that they want a eight cap at $50,000 a door that they can put $5,000 a door in rehab and refinance yeah. for $90,000, right? We would all love those, but I also like would like to you know, find a unicorn, but and that's not going to happen. So I think for your purposes, as your new investors, like okay, find the deal that you want, be willing to do it, and a lot of cases too is don't be selfish about it. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast with your host Brian Briscoe. In this podcast, we bring some of the top professionals in the apartment investing field to discuss various aspects of the apartment investing journey with the sole purpose of educating listeners to make wise investment decisions. The Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast is sponsored by Four Oaks Capital, bringing you high yield returns through apartment complex investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe with Four Oaks Capital. Very excited for today's show. Uh, we have two great people on the line with us today. We've got Bernie Lease. And Caroline Cohn. And you know, Bernie, you're coming on as the experienced investor today. So you're up first. Do us a favor, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Brian. Appreciate yeah. it. So I'm like a lot of people probably got into real estate. I had a W-2 job and was making good money. And my wife and I sat down a few years ago and we're like, hey, let's get, get into something else. And was mm-hmm. it an online business? Was it real estate? And so we decided that let's try real estate. It's like a lot of people, right? And so I a lot of folks like myself, we started on the bigger pockets and mm-hmm. looking at that journey and uh, got to the point where we pulled out a line of credit in our house mm-hmm. and we bought two single family homes in Indianapolis, Indiana. And we thought we were flying high. Yeah. And then about two months later, we're like, oh, we're out of money. <laughs> we couldn't <laughs> scale anymore. Yeah. And it got to the point, it's like, you know, one vacancy pretty much wiped out like six months of profits on a single family. So yeah. Like a lot of folks, I mean, after about a year, Brian, we looked at it, looked at it and said, like, if we want to scale this and expand it, then we we probably need to go into multifamily, mm-hmm. right? We're going to have a little bit more of that scalability and use other people's money and kind of invest with partnerships and things like that. And so we started looking into that, and uh, we joined a couple of groups, started networking around, and and that kind of led us to where we are right now, where we've got you know about eighty seven units under under management, mm-hmm. and working through to kind of expand our portfolio from here. Awesome, awesome. Now I, I'm going to you know tease a couple areas out here. So what what was your W two or what is your W two? Because you're still working the W two. I work in e commerce, new operations. So I mm-hmm. manage our distribution networks in the U S. and our global uh, customer support teams across okay. the world. All right. Now what what was it that kind of drove you to look for something else? You know, I mean, a lot of people get to that point where they know they want something else. What was the driver for you? The big one for us is, you know, as a wife and I sat down, I was like, what do we have as a backup down the line mm-hmm. to build, right? And then also is, what do we do for our kids to set them up for something that kind of gives them a legacy to kind of work through, yeah. that, right? It's not, like, it's not like we're going to hand them a couple of million dollars. Brian said, you'd be a trust fund kid. Yeah. It's more about, you know, how do we set them up to say there's there's something there for you down the line to go into as a business potentially, or to give mm-hmm. them at least the leverage to try their own things, 
financially down the line where they're not kind of you know, beholden to taking out a huge amount of loans and leveraging themselves and things like that. And honestly, you know, selfishly, my wife and I are looking at, do we want to work till we're 70 years old and then finally retire and try to enjoy it? Or do I have something down the line that we kind of fall back on yeah. and not worry about it? Because at both of our W-2s, we have no equity in the company, mm-hmm. right? And that's okay. A lot of folks don't. That's not a bad thing. Yeah, it's just that, you know, if, 90% if we of great, we get our raise, but we don't have anything kind of, you know, fall back on us kind of with the exit parachute kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people, like you said, find, find themselves in the same situation. You know, you're in a W-2, you know, you're doing your best you can, you're getting the pay raise and trying to, you know, climb the, the corporate ladder, so to speak. But um, I, I think we had the same realization, you know, a couple of realizations is the W-2 isn't going to get us where we want to go. And, you know, I also had, you know, two single family homes and called a lender up and they said, nope, not off of your salary. You know, it was a, it was a W-2 mm-hmm. salary. I thought I was making pretty good money and lenders like, yeah, I think two houses is about, you know, as much as you guys can do right now. But, uh, and then same thing for me, it was, it was like, hmm, how do I scale this? And same answer you came to, but it was multifamily. So, um, so let, let's, let's, let's hit that transition a little bit more. I mean, you, you have two single family houses. You said you took a home equity line of credit to, to buy those which is also very common. Um, now, when, when you started in, in multifamily, how did, you, how did you bridge the gap between all of our money's gone and you know, raising, uh, raising money from others, which presumably you did? Yeah, it was, it was a pretty big jump. So we looked at you know, what experts are out there that kind of get us past that learning curve, right? A lot of folks want to go out and do it on their own and the learning curve is super steep, Brian, mm-hmm. and it takes time, right? Yeah. And so for us is, you know, how could we pay potentially to accelerate that and lower the pain through that learning curve process. So that's what we looked at. And we looked at several different groups. We decided to join one group after talking to them and attending a couple of events. We, mm-hmm. we were pretty impressed with them, talked to their coaches, things like that. That had felt, felt pretty good to us overall. I think how we bridged the gap really is we took a, a big risk is, mm-hmm. is um, we sold our house. Wow. And so you know, we sat down. And so the, the, you know, the night we signed the contract with a realtor, about two hours later, my wife goes, I'm pregnant. <laughs> So, right. It was one of those moments, those oh crap moments where it's like, right. did we make the right decision? Right. But we kind of, you know, struggled through. So that kind of was our seed capital for the mm-hmm. initial one. But even then, it was like you, Brian, it's like, okay, we can go out. We can, we can afford a, you know, a fourplex with this. So yeah. it's like we can scale. But then we just started, you know, looking through and saying, okay, talk to the experts, start to network. And, and it put us around people who could introduce us to other people who had the same goals that we had mm-hmm. and help us to kind of minimize some of that thrash that a lot of folks have between you know deciding to go into multifamily and actually closing their first deal. Yeah. Wow. That 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 is a big jump right there. You know, selling selling the house. And um, you know, the the first the, the home equity is is a, a very common first step. You know, fewer people make that jump of selling their house, but uh it, it's it's a really good way to 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 get that untapped equity that's that's in the house and be able to make it make it useful, you know. So um and so far, it looks like it's worked out so far. And, and just knowing what you know now, would you make the same decision again? Totally. Totally right. right. Yep. yep. All right. Yep. Awesome. So good to know. Now, would your wife make the same decision again? <laughs> I, think, I think she would probably try to minimize some of the stress that came with it. But I think, you know, looking at how it's turned out for us, yeah, she would. I mean, we, you have to have the money to go into that first deal. You can raise money. Don't get me wrong. You can raise money. Yep. But if you're not telling your investors, hey, by the way, I'm putting this big chunk of money in that's probably going to exceed your investment. Mm-hmm. It's hard to build credibility when you're like, oh, by the way, I have zero units under, under yeah. ownership as well too, right? So that for us was a big deal for us. And so we knew we had to pay 
to play the game. Mm-hmm. And that was a way to kind of get in and build a credibility as well with folks. Yeah. You know, and I, I did something similar in, in a lot of ways. A lot of ways, your, your, your story parallels mine. I got into a coaching program, you know, paid quite a bit of money to do that. Um, it was very beneficial, you know, have somebody to help you go through it. But I put $100,000 into our first multifamily deal, which was, you know, almost everything we had liquid at the time, you know, besides, you know, retirement fund here and, you know, the, the single family house that we, we lived in, we actually had a single family rental at the time too, but, you know, similar to you, it was, it was part of, part of the reason was, you know, to raise money. I, I felt I had to put my money where my mouth was. I felt that, you know, if I'm going to ask my friends and family to invest you know, exactly what you said is I've got more money on the line than I'm asking you to put in, you know, $50,000 minimum, I've got a hundred thousand in. So I'm going to take care of the investment because that's a lot of my money too. Totally. Yeah, totally agree. I, for us, we, my partner, Mike and I, we found that was a really good selling point because that was like the first question people would ask us. Yep. Oh, it sounds like a great deal. How much are you putting in? And we're like, yeah. Put in, you know, three times as much as you are, and like, okay, done, yeah. right? And that build credibility so fast for us. You know, and I, I've had a lot of people on the podcasts, you know, say you use similar strategies, and and a lot of it is in the wording, you know, of of how you how you approach people to invest. Um, you know, a couple of conversations that I had with people is they they ask you to co invest, you know, and they start exactly like we said is I'm investing this ma- amount in this deal because. I really believe in the deal. I believe in the city. I believe in the operators. You know, we have a couple of partners who are really experienced. So I'm going to put in this money, this much money. Do you want to invest with me? And that seems to get a lot better response than, you know, the alternative, you know, Hey, I'm in, Hey, do you want to invest in this opportunity? You know, it's eh, maybe I, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but you know, if, if, if you're leading from the front, people are going to follow a lot easier. So. I agree. You know, a lot of our verbiage is around how we talk about it. We talk about being partners with them. We don't talk about like, hey, we're the owners, you're investing in our company and we're going to manage it and we're going to pay you dividends. It's more like we're going to invest this together. We all get the benefits of it and we're super transparent as well. So I, I think that's not that it's, it's the best way. I just, it just, it works for the style that we have. Personally. Yeah, yeah it, it, it works. I think a lot of people are looking for transparency and, you know, one, once again, you know, it sounds better to perspective investor to be a partner and a co-owner, then, um, Hey, do you want to give me $50,000 so I can invest in this property? Right. You know, it, it's, it's just, it's a, it's more palatable, I guess. So, yeah, I um, so, um, uh, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, why you made the move, but I, I want to go a little deeper on it right now. You know what I call the big burning. Why what's, what's your big, I guess we call it the Bernie. Why, but I'm for you, but, uh, what's your big <laughs> burning. Why? It's, it's really, it's, it's for us, it's the family deal, right? And so I think we, we wanted the ability. So I think a couple of things, right? My, my wife got pregnant, right? Mm-hmm. While we were doing this. And it got to the point of like, if she wanted to pull the ripcord on her W-2 mm-hmm. and wants to spend full time with our daughter and our son, we want her to have that option, right? Mm-hmm. That was that was the, the number one priority for us. So we wanted to have that option to say like, we're not going to take a, a step back in lifestyle. We're not going to worry about how much we're putting away in savings every month. We're going to have this backup plan to do that and allow her to have that opportunity to spend more time with the kids. Because you only get, you know, for us, it's time. You never get the time back, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And if you go back in the day and say like, you know what, hey, I, I worked 30 years and 50 hours a week, I, I accomplished a lot. Well, if you didn't know your kids, who the hell cares? Yeah. And that's kind of our, our, our approach to, the, to our life. The second one for us was our was our kids itself too. We want them both to have the options, right? To sit there and say, like, here's this 
nest egg for you. Mm-hmm. And when you're 18, if you want to go to college and blow it on a humanities degree, you know, God bless you. Yeah. Or if you want to start your own business, you know, here's something for to start that mm-hmm. and put you in a position where versus going out there and leveraging yourself to the hill where you can't pay off your debt to your 35, then you start to make a decent living. We wanted to kind of avoid some of that thrash a lot of folks are going through right now. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that that's important. You know, I, I like to say I bootstrapped a lot of things, you know, my, my parents weren't able to help financially and, um, you know, I, I wasn't quite in the position when my oldest daughter got out of college or got out of high school, but, uh, you know, we're, we're setting ourselves pretty well to, uh, um, to help the younger kids. And I, I have a smile on my face right now. Cause I, I, my oldest daughter is the podcast editor, so she's going to hear that, but, uh, sorry, <laughs> Elena, we'll make it up to you, you know, but, uh, um, anyway, that's, uh, yeah, I, that it's, it's once again, very, very common. I think everybody is motivated by family, you know, especially with the kids. Once the kids come along, you know, a lot of things change, you know, and it's, um, thanks for sharing that with us. Um, of course. Now is the fun fun part of the podcast. We're going to talk about some of your deals. So tell us tell us about one of the deals that you guys have, and you know what you like, and you know what you like about it, and how how it's been going. Of course, I think our first deal is the one that we like kind of go back on because it just mm-hmm. you know it took us it took Mike and I or my partner two years for us to find our first deal, mm-hmm. right? And then that sounds like a long time, and, and a lot of people grinding it, but it was an on market deal. It was public. It mm-hmm. was in a small little town about seventy miles south of uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of folks are saying the good deals aren't public. And it's like, and so it's kind of made our, 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 our ears are up around them. Like, why is this deal out there still? Yeah. But we went into it. Um, we liked it. It was an emerging market. Brian, you know, mm-hmm. via the network we'd built over two years, we had people in that market who could tell us, yeah, that's a good town. That's mm-hmm. a good area. This is a good deal based upon some of the numbers, right? So it kind of alleviated some of our initial concerns that we had. Yep. And so um, it was one of those mom and pop deals. They weren't professional operators. They had 16 units. It was a class A. They built it. It was three years old. Wow. And their first three priorities were occupancy, occupancy, and more occupancy. Mm-hmm. And so they hadn't pushed rents. And so yeah. when COVID happened too, they got really freaked out. And they, you know, they were assigning people to way below market rents, just to keep them in the door. Mm-hmm. And so that was our opportunity. And so we, we purchased it. We closed in February of last year. Mm-hmm. And what we love about it is without any dollars out of our pocket and CapEx improvements, we've been able to raise revenues, gross rents by about 25%. Mm-hmm. over the first 11 months, right? Nice. So that's a pretty big one for us. And so the, the, the cool thing about it was it, it it proved out our business plan, Brian, but more importantly is with our in, first investors, the folks who kind of gave us that start, they've gotten good returns. We've fulfilled all of our promises. They actually exceeded most of them. And that's built our credibility for you know raising money on future deals as well. Yeah, down the yeah it's definitely a credibility game. And, and one thing that, um, you know, we, we have not come full cycle on a deal yet, um, you know, we're, we're getting close on a couple where, you know, we, we feel we can, we're close to selling, but one of our goals is for the vast majority of the people that exit a deal to reinvest with us in the future. You know, and I think, I think that's one of the metrics that, uh, that we're, we're going to track as far as, you know, we, we came full cycle on this deal. We gave, you know, X returns to, to so many investors and this percentage of them reinvested with us in a, in a future deal. Um, Cause that's, that's exactly what we're looking for. We're looking for, it, it's a reputation game. Like you say, we're looking for people to, we're going to build a reputation and the trust so that people keep on coming back, you know? And um, right. anyway, that's uh, glad, glad you mentioned that at least. Um, now you are in Boise, correct? Yeah, Boise, Idaho. All right. Um, I'm I'm over in Idaho Falls, just to the east of you. But uh, why Tennessee? 
Oh gosh, why not? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a lot <laughs> yeah, of, lots so, of good reasons, but uh, yeah, we we were like, you know, we, we looked at Boise, right? A lot of folks look at home at their home market because they can drive to the properties, things like that. But for us in Boise, we have a lot of California cash coming in here, right? Yeah. And rightfully so. It's a great market. It's a beautiful place to live. Great place to raise a family. But you know, we were telling brokers were telling us that for every seller, there were 300 to 500 buyers, right? Yeah. And most of those were all cash buyers. And so we were seeing cap rates getting impressed over the last two years, you know, from around four to four and a half, they're down to, you know, three to three and a half now on the cap rates. You know, I, I talked to a broker in Boise two weeks ago, and there's, there's something that they're, they're selling right now at a 2.7 cap. So we're, we're below three caps in Boise for the A class. Yeah. And so that, that's what we were. So we were looking at, you know, where do you want to go? Mm-hmm. We like Tennessee for a lot of reasons. It's a great market to live in. It's very landlord friendly. And if you look at the dynamics, the long-term demographics, it's growing pretty fast. It's getting a lot of folks in the Northeast that are moving there, right? So if you live in New York and New Jersey, Pennsylvania, that kind of stuff, right? It's big city, it's high taxes, things like that. You can go down to, you can visit Nashville. It's a beautiful place to live. You know, Chattanooga is growing pretty fast. Knoxville, some you know, Memphis as well, right? So a lot of stuff there. Good culture, great places to live, low tax rate, no income tax in the state. Nice. But if you look at the kind of the, the, the actual data itself, Brian, U-Haul has rated Tennessee as like the, the number one destination for moving trucks for at least the last year, if not the last two years. Mm-hmm. And that to me shows that people are migrating there as fast as possible. And when COVID happened for us, it also allowed people to say like, I can still maintain my my employment with the Northeast company, but I can live in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And so I yeah. can do that from anywhere in the world now. And that's, that's, it's changed people's things. Like in the past, it's like, I had to be near New York to get the great jobs. You don't have to anymore. You can live in Nashville or you can live in Tullahoma where we're at and our, some of our investments and still have a really good job and just, you know, fly in once a quarter, things like that. So I think that for us, the yeah. Democrat, the long-term trends for Tennessee are very favorable for us and our, as a, as an investor. Yeah, and I think there there's a big demographic push that direction. That, that's what we're seeing in a lot of areas too. Is you know people are moving from high density to low density, and um, you know the high cost of living to low cost of living, and the high tax states to the low tax states. I mean that's that's the general trend we're seeing in migration right now. So, and I agree, Tennessee is a place where you can definitely take advantage of that. Um, so yeah, thank, thanks for sharing information on that deal. I you know hope it continues to go well for you. Um, and then last question for you before we bring on Caroline, you know, what's next for you? Well, we just closed the deal last month in Clarksville, Tennessee. That was a big one. So we're wrapping that one up, getting everything going. That's good. But our, our biggest push right now in the next three months is, is just starting to build additional credibility with brokers and markets that we're looking to, to invest in. Mm-hmm. And now that we have some deals under our belts and we can kind of show that we prove them and close, we're getting more traction with brokers. So we're looking to close a deal here in Q1 and move that forward. Don't have the deal under contract yet, but we're still looking pretty fast. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Best best of luck to you. Uh, okay. Now we're going to transition. You know, we're going to, um, well, I, I use a catchphrase that my daughter bugs me about, and she's going to edit this part out, and I forget what it was. Uh, shift gears. That's what it was. Now it's time to shift gears. And so, Caroline, welcome to the show today. Thanks so much for having me, Brian. Wait, wait, wait. So are you saying that shift gears is out of style now? Like, I don't understand. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's something that I always say. And, and my daughter once pointed out that like, dad, you say that way too much, you know, because every time there's a transition, I say we're shifting gears and, and uh, now she's going to have to leave it in. So everybody understands the conversation <laughs> from here. But uh, uh, anyway, yeah, shifting gears. I, I say it a lot, but uh, um, anyway, Caroline, welcome. Thanks for having me, Brian. Absolutely. Uh, so do us a favor and, and tell us a little bit about uh, about yourself. Yeah, so it's funny listening to you guys talk about uh, the Northeasterners moving down south because I'm of the opposite. Like I live in New York, but I haven't 
you know, quite left here. There are things that keep me here, like my family and friends, but hopefully one day the transition will come. Um, but I'm a teacher based out of New York and I have a, I'm a podcaster. Oh, is that your daughter? The one that's editing these videos? No, this is, this is not the one that edits the videos. This is my, my youngest and, um, her mom's at uh, basketball practice with, with, uh, her brother. So that's, that's the, that's what happens when you work at home. So, um, yeah. So, so you're in New York city and you're looking at potentially doing what everyone else is doing. Um, I'm a real estate investor part-time. And then I'm like looking to dabbling in coaching and all right. I have, yeah. What, what kind of coaching are you, are you doing? Um, looking at like, I'm re- I'm a big runner. So uh-huh. I was like thinking about doing some kind of fitness or like running thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe some like invest, like real estate investment stuff. Awesome. That's, that sounds amazing. Um, now, one thing that uh, everybody on the show gets asked, and I, I love this question, what, what is your big burning why? Yeah. So my motivation is I actually um, want to transition out of my W-2 mm-hmm. in within the next five years. And my goal is to start a foundation to help single moms um, to become entrepreneurs, whether mm-hmm. that's real estate investors or not. Because I think we do a disservice, right? And we don't educate people that if you are your own boss, that you mm-hmm. could um, have a access to a lot more income. Um, but then you also have flexibility with your time and what you do. And I think that there are a lot of single moms that think that they need to work for someone else in order to Mm -hmm. have a decent income to support for their kid to provide for their children. But that's really not the case. Yeah. You know, and you know, my, my sister's a single mom and, you know, I got a cousin who just reached out to me also a single mom. And, you know, I, I think they're, they're in that exact scenario where you, you describe, and it's almost a, it's almost too risky not to have a W two when you're a single mother. And I think a lot of a lot of the single mothers fall into that trap where it's like, I need that constant paycheck because I've got to provide for my kids, and I'm the only one. You know, whereas, you know, um, you know, a, a couple or you know, a, a person without kids has a little more flexibility. It's so I very much appreciate that. I think that's going to go very very well. Um, yeah, but my 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 cousin, like I said, single mother reached out to me like two days ago, asking for you know how to invest, you know investment advice, and she painted the same picture. Like, I never never learned how to invest. Don't know what I'm doing. Um, what can I do? You know, but uh, I think it's gonna be a very valuable valuable resource. But anyway, um, now comes the favorite part of the show, uh, Caroline. We got Bernie on the line. What do you want to ask him? Yeah. So, you know, it's really funny because I feel like both of your stories really parallel mine in that I have two properties, right, that I own and I use the HELOC to purchase the second property. And then it was like, well, I can't scale this. But um, so, you know, I was kind of curious because I saw that Bernie, you raised capital, right? Like that's like your role within a general partnership. And I was wondering, I mean, you kind of touched on that, but there was something that you had mentioned in regards to you and your wife were like, okay, we have kids and now we want to find, um, you want to surround yourself with the right people. Because I think that's where I struggled is that my, I purchased my first investment property in 27, 2016, 2017. And I didn't purchase a second one until 2020. And I think that there's this big gap because I wasn't around the right people and I didn't know you know, what to look for, or who to speak to, or like, how could I grow? Mm-hmm. And then that's when I, the, someone that I had been following from 2017, who had 
like scaled her business tremendously. That's when I was like, oh, I need to talk to her and see what she's doing. So how did you go about doing that? Like, you know, you kind of touched on it, but if you could go more in depth in that subject, because I feel like it's not, it's not something that everyone really talks about, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the natural progress. You know, you read books, you start to look at articles, mm-hmm. and then, of course, you start going to podcasts. And I think mine was like a six-month journey, Caroline, where I listened to different people who are offering services, networking, or coaching, right? And you kind of, you, and I, I chose the one that fit my style the best, right? And I think you just, you have a hunch, right? It's like when you meet the person you want to date, you're like, yeah, within the first five minutes of date, you're like, yeah, I could, I could go in a second date this person or not, right? You kind of know it when you talk to other people, like, do they have the same style? Or are they pushy? Are they trying to sell you something? So they can kind of get a piece of the pie is more of like a pyramid scheme, things like that. And so we went with people who are very genuine and authentic and had the same background as we did. Like they're, they're just, they, they started investing when they had W-2s and got to the point where they got successful and then they were able to transition out of it. That spoke to us about their style. It wasn't about like, hey, I started from nothing and I raised you know $5 million my first year. It's like, that's not who we are. Mm-hmm. My partner is. And so we, we found people to fit our style. So I think for you, it's it's that journey of, of you kind of have to like just listen and talk mm-hmm. and attend a few events here and there and kind of get meet the people in person. That was what worked best for us. Yeah, I, I actually did something similar. You know, I, I found the person that that matched my style. I'm, I'm very analytical, and it was it was somebody who had a very analytical approach to, you know, investing in apartments. You know, and here's how you do this, here's how you do that, and it really resonated with me. Um, you know, although since then I've realized that there's there's a lot of other things you know that, that are important, and a lot of the a lot of the different programs you know, whether they want to or not, they are, they're all going to have a slightly different focus, you know um, you know, one person's focus might be mindset. One person's focus might be underwriting. One person's focus might be team. Um, but you, you go to the one, I, I think what Bernie says, perfect. You go to the one that you, that resonates with you, that matches your, your personality. And um, usually that's going to end up being the, the best fit for you. Yeah. Okay. And then I noticed that, you know, you um, purchased your properties remotely, right? So like what went into that? And you had also mentioned that you have a partner. So, you know, you you talked about joining this group and then somehow a partner suddenly shows up. So like, how did that happen? How did that come about? Like, is your, is this guy who's your partner, you guys still partnered together? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Mike, Mike's Mike's my partner. Mike and I actually work at the same company in our W2s. And so we've been working together for years. And when I, when I decided to go into multifamily, you know, I'd sold and we're just, you know, chatting. I'm like, yeah, I'm selling my house. Mm-hmm. He's like, why? I'm going, well, we were looking to you know, invest in apartments. And so he asked, you know, why are you doing this? And so you start to have those conversations over the course of a few months. And then he's like, well, tell me more about it. And so I started to share some podcasts with him. And then, you know, a couple months later, he's like, hey, let's do this together. I'm going to sell my house too. Right. And so it's one, <laughs> one of those things where our wives weren't too happy with us, I think, overall. Yeah. But, you know, in general, it worked out pretty well. So I, I think that, Caroline, it is, it, when it goes into partnership, it's more of just, it, just you start talking about it with people. right? And you'll find that people are interested and have the same type of goals and, and approaches you do. And that kind of helps you to choose your partners as well versus going out and trying to force it. Right. It's, it's not like you can sit there and say, like, I have a deal in a contract. I'm going to start talking to people now. And raise a couple hundred thousand dollars for the deal. If you have that kind of in the pipeline ahead of time, and, and start to you know build those relationships over time with those people. Yeah, you know what? One thing I'll say: both of you selling your homes. I mean, that's that's commitment. You know, and <laughs> sometimes it takes a big act like that to commit. You know, I remember writing the check for a mentorship program. It was actually credit card, credit card transaction, but just the thought of putting you know 
I paid twenty five thousand. You know, just it, it was a big enough commitment where, you know, prior to that, I probably could have you know dabbled and maybe possibly potentially got a couple of properties here and there. But you know, I something that that you said you both sold your house that that's a big commitment. It's a big signal to yourself that hey, I'm all in on this one, and your partner's all in with you too. So I really appreciated that. Yeah, yeah but why? Why? Where did this idea come from to sell your house? Because this is the part I didn't understand. You're just like, oh my god, I want to do real estate. Let me sell my house. Like, yeah. I think Forrest Gump said, "I'm not a smart man." I think it's kind of my model. In a lot of cases, right? So, no, I think what it was, Caroline, is when we first started this journey, we were like. Could, can we even raise money? Right. There was that, that self-doubt, right. And there's limiting beliefs like, gosh, can we even raise the money from other people? Cause we don't have any deals in our contract and we, nobody knows who we are. We have no credibility. And so it's like, okay, well, at least we have the funds to buy something ourselves. Mm-hmm. Worst case scenario. So, but after doing that, right, we sold our houses and it still took us almost two years to close our first deal. So I mean, we, we still had some plans ahead of time that by that time we had talked to enough people, we got to the point where like, you know what, we have a, a network now that we can raise money from. And so that, that allows us to expand our search out to a little bit higher purchase price than we would have normally done if it was just the two of us. Yeah. You know, I, I had two investment properties, single family homes. And when I decided to go into multifamily, you know, we sold them. And that was, you know, it, it does, you can do this business without having money, but it's a lot easier to start out if you have a little, little bit of, you know, um, of money in the bank, you know, so, you know, you're going to have to put in a 1%, actually in some markets, it's more than 1% right now, but traditionally about a 1% earnest money deposit on properties, you know, and um, I, I think it's best if you're able to do that yourself, as opposed to having to ask someone else or potential partner to do it. So um, freeing up that capital gave him the flexibility. It's it's the same reason that, that we sold our, our investment properties was, you know, to be able to provide that seed money for the company, you know, and the seed money for their real estate uh, that we were going to buy. So then after you sold your house, where did you, where did you go? Like (laughs) (laughs) we, we, we rented, it was, it was, we rented it in a place as we wanted to move areas with invoicing. We wanted to be closer to the office, you know, with our, with our son coming on the way, I wanted to be, I was commuting about 45 minutes each way to work and back. And so I didn't want to commute that long with a new baby. And so we, we moved closer downtown. And then after we closed our first deal, actually, for, for close our first deal, we were able to purchase another proper a house for ourselves. So it worked out pretty well overall. Um, but, you know, again, I, I think it goes back to what Brian was saying, right? If you're really into this and you believe in yourself, sometimes you have to make those big risky jumps. You don't always know how deep the water is. And that's okay, right? As long as it's, a, it's an educated guess in some cases. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people, I mean, I have talked to other people who have sold their house for the same reason and downsized to rentals to be able to free up the capital. But, you know, at, at some point you've got to, you've got to jump all into this business, you know, and, you know, like, like I said, you know, him selling the house was a, a very, you know, present reminder that he's all in, you know, renting, paying, writing that rent check every month, you know, very present reminder that he was all in. So um, I, I think that's, that's definitely part of what it takes to be successful. Yeah. Wow. I don't know how I feel about that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. You don't have to sell your house, but uh, yeah, it's, you know, commit, figure out a way to commit. And I think that's, that's the lesson learned. Yeah. So then since then, how many deals have, because you said it took two years for your first deal. And then how many deals have you guys done since, or how many um, doors have you closed? 
Yeah, it was a it was a sixteen unit sixteen unit deal. We closed in February of last year on our first deal, and we got another thirty two units that we closed in June of the mm-hmm. about three months, three and four months later, and we just closed a thirty nine unit deal in December about mm-hmm. a month ago. So we've got eighty seven units now under contract under our ownership and mm-hmm. our portfolio, and we're looking to expand upon that pretty fast. Congratulations, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's nice. Nice growth. Nice. So then are you guys self-managing all of these properties or do you have? No, no, we, we both work. Yeah. So our, our philosophy is we both work full-time jobs. And so, you know, we, we, we are committed to our employer and we want to do a, you know, a great job and, you know, continue to provide value that way to us. So we, we get third-party on-site manager or, you know, in-market manager for us. They do that. It's worth the money that we, that they pay. They have all the contacts for maintenance and for all the vendors and things like that. If a toilet breaks at midnight, guess who gets the call? Not us. It's them, right? And so that's the thing. And it's it's a, it's also for us too. Is Carolyn? We were talking to our investors. They asked the same thing. They're like, "Oh, you're going to invest in Tennessee, so you're going to manage it." We're like, "Oh no!" We're like, okay, good, because that was that's worse. And it's like, okay, you're working your full time job, and, and you're going to manage a a property, you know, two thousand miles away. It didn't make a lot of sense. And so I think for us, it built a credibility that we have a good business model. And I think it goes back to what Mike and I do in our, in our professional world, right? In W twos, is we manage large third-party vendors for our company, right? And we do that from sometimes a couple of continents away, right? We've got warehouses in Australia that we manage. We have teams in the Philippines that I manage on a daily basis, right? So we have systems and processes in place that we use in our professional lives that we've applied to our real estate investment process as well. And that's helped us as well to be more successful, I think, than a lot of folks who maybe don't have the same background. Um, And then for someone that's you know, working a W-2, right? Like what is the biggest piece of advice that you can give as far as getting into this business and trying to do uh, multifamily investments while also working the W-2? Sell your house. (laughs) (laughs) I I think there's there's a couple, right? I think the the first thing you have to realize is that there is no perfect deal. And I think a lot of folks do that. It's that paralysis by analysis routine, right? And they're like, Gosh, I'm looking at this deal, but it's only a four cap. Or, God, man, it's, it's you know, I, I, you know, everybody has the same thing that they want a eight cap at fifty thousand dollars a door that they can put five thousand dollars a door in rehab and refinance yep. for ninety thousand dollars, right? We would all love those, but I also like would like to you know, find a unicorn, but and that's not going to happen. So I think for your purposes, as your new investors, like, okay, find the deal that you want, be willing to do it, and in a lot of cases too is don't be selfish about it. And I will tell you, when, when Mike and I were looking, we couldn't find a deal. We were getting frustrated. But one of our mentors had a deal that he was he was asking for investors. And Mike and I invested each in it. And, mm-hmm. and, and on the one hand, we're like, gosh, that takes capital off the table if we find a deal in three months. But on, on the other half, I was like, guess what? We built credibility because now we have something in our portfolio. But it also allowed us to see how the deal works. We're like, oh, now this is how it works. What, how's the closing process work? After you close, how do they make money, right? How do you look at the books? That kind of stuff. And that was a huge educational thing for us, Caroline. They didn't cost us anything because we made money on the deal, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think for your purposes is, is don't sit there and say, I'm, I need to be the GP. I need to be the sole owner. It's like, you know, I can go in as an LP. I could do that deal. Or, or I can go in as a money raiser. You know, we have a, I'll tell you, kind of off note, we have a, a, our, third, this, our third building we did, we closed last month. Through our network, uh, a guy came to us. He's like, hey, I have nothing under contract. I've got some small units in Phoenix. I'm looking to do it. I, I don't have any money to put in, but I can raise money for you. And I want to be a GP. That to us made sense, right? We needed somebody to raise a little bit of capital for us. For his purposes now, guess what? Now he's a GP in a deal. He can go out on his resume and say, I'm a GP on 39 units in a great market in Tennessee, right? So I think those are things you can do. You can find value. So as a new investor, don't sit there and look like, I have to invest and, and own it. 
there are different avenues you can provide value for, for other people who are also buying it. And maybe it's raising money, maybe it's underwriting the deal, whatever it might be, but you can find value there and to increase your credibility down the line. It doesn't have to be the perfect deal right away. Absolutely. I agree. And, you know, we, the, the four of us that came together for, for the first deal, we ended up forming Four Oaks Capital, but none of us had GP positions. He, he mentioned you, you at least get some credibility by passively investing. And um, I was, I was one of, one of the guys in our group that had not passively invested before. And I mean, there were a lot of things I didn't know, you know, about the process. I, it's, it's definitely helpful to see things from the passive investing side, if you're able, you know, and there's, it depends on what your what your finances look like, but I would say if you're able to to passively invest first, you know, give that give that a try. And while you're looking for your first deal, um, in in my position, you know, I, I had enough money on the sidelines, you know, for you know, I, I said I put 100k in, into our first deal as a passive and as I guess a GP, you know, the, the sponsorship money. That was about everything I had, you know, and and looking looking at the time. I had many offers to do passive investments first. And, you know, I chose to keep the money on the sidelines for our first deal, which I, I wouldn't go back and remake that decision. But had I a little more money, I would have loved to have invested fat passively first. Anyway, just piggybacking off of what Bernie said. Yeah. And Caroline, I, another thing too is it allows you to, to get the position of what the customer, what your customer will actually go through. Right. And I think people miss that a lot of cases. It's, oh, I'm a GP, I'm making the money, whatever it is. Right. But, you know, I, you have to realize as an LP, you just wired off $50,000 to somebody you may not know very well, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If they're not transparent and communicative right away, that makes you feel a little bit nervous sometimes, right? And so we, as when we did the LP, we're like, there was some like, oh, this is a great way to do stuff or, or here's how we're going to do it differently when we have a deal. And we've taken those lessons learned from the LP side and applied that to how we do GPs. And so I think that's made us better GPs or general partners than we would have been otherwise if we hadn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's some sound advice. Yeah. And Caroline, we got time for one more question. So if you have, if you've been saving a silver bullet, now's the time to shoot. <laughs> um, so, you know, you had mentioned that you had your son that came along. Congratulations, by the way. Yeah. So then do you feel like, are your plans ultimately to quit your W2 and just go and do this full time? For me, no, no, there's no plans on it right now. Um, I'm, I'm very happy. I, I work in a great company with a great group of people and I have no intention to leave at all. This is more of around setting up additional income streams, Caroline, to give us options or flexibility down the line. That's all it was really for us, right? And I think when we, we talked, I mean, I'd say this too, is when we talk to our investors, most of our investors are also very successful W2 earners as well. And I think you know the value proposition we add to them is we were giving them additional income streams without the need to go out and sit there and research and manage a manager and worry about property, things like that. Um, so we're all in the same boat. So it makes a symbiotic relationship in terms of how we pitch our investors as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, hey, thanks so much to you two for coming on the show. And uh, we do have to wrap things up. Uh, I do have one question for each of you to, to finish off. And that's a question. Uh, Bernie, you get to answer it first. How can listeners learn more about you? Yeah, you can check out our website. It's it's www.elementalequity.com llc.com or you can email me at bernie at elemental equity llc.com i'm happy to answer any questions or have a chat to get to know you better all right and we'll have the uh the hyperlink to his website and his email address in the show notes so if anybody wants to take him up on that offer all you got to do is tap swipe and tap and the internet will whisk you away all right caroline you're up next how can listeners learn more about you 
Yeah. So they could go to firstdealshow.com. I have a podcast. We release episodes every Friday. Um, we talk about to investors about their first deal in real estate, whether that was multifamily or just regular single family. Um, they can also find me on LinkedIn. And my name is spelled Caroline with a K, last name K-A-O-N. All right. And we'll have a link to the, the podcast and a link to your LinkedIn profile in there as well. You know, and uh, so people can just, you know, check the show notes out and make it easy for them. So uh, once again, very much appreciate your guys' time. And I think this was a great little conversation we had. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at fouroakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show, so pull out your phone, tap subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.